Hello everybody, welcome back to another podcast. It is Andy here. I am flying solo today as Pierce is gone back over the pond to the UK for uh, for a golf day and a couple of days over there. So it's uh, just myself today, but I've got one of one of our favorite guests to to chat to. One of our favorite people to speak to actually, Dr. Carl Morris. He's been on the show probably I'd say at least three times now and this potentially is his fourth. And we wanted to get Carl on today to talk about a topic that is that is definitely close to all of us, which is managing anger and frustration. And this is something that we all know that we do on the golf course, and we'd all like to do a little bit less because it just doesn't help us get the most out of our round. And this podcast that we're doing today is, I think it's one of my favorite conversations that I've had in the podcast because A, I'm really interested in human beings and exploring the mind and the psychology of what helps us perform and just what makes us tick. And Carl's certainly the expert in that. But B, we just went off in a tangent here. I thought this might be half an hour, but I think we got close to like 45 minutes to an hour on this one because we went off in lots of different directions. But I know how valuable some of the things that we discuss in this podcast can be if you just apply them. And they're so simple, which is what Carl is brilliant at. So so if you're somebody who wants to just improve your whole mindset, but certainly manage your anger and frustration on the golf course so you can have more fun and ultimately play better golf, then make sure you take some notes on this. Screenshot this and tag me and my golfing and Carl Morris at The Mind Factor and sit back and enjoy. Carl, welcome back to the podcast. Andy, it's very, very good to see you. It's it's it's, it's been a while and uh, I know you've things have changed in your life, but yeah, it's great to get a chance to catch up. It is, and I think, I think you are probably... I don't think there's anyone who's been on our podcast as much as you. <laughs> I think you're the you're the the number one attendee for the podcast at the moment. Um, All right. Do I, do I get a carriage clock or something like that now for long <laughs> <Yeah>. service? <laughs> but look, we love we love getting you on because I think in in the um in this industry, um, from mine and Pierce's perspective, there's no one better in the industry that understands human beings, but also delivers it in a in a simple way like I, I haven't met anybody who delivers it in 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 such a simple way as you that's really practical for golf for golfers that they can take instant action really so uh, I'm excited to get you back on and I'm excited about this topic today actually because I know this is something that I'm not going to say golfers I'm going to say all of us <laughs> as golfers have have struggled with and continue to struggle with and that's anger and frustration on the golf course um it seems to be I think the first starting point of this call really is that a lot of people get angry on the golf course um, and they know that it's not going to help their game when it gets ang- when they get angry, but they continue to get angry. Why do you think, why is it that we know that we shouldn't do something that, that hurts our game, but we continue to do it anyway? <laughs> it's, it, it is a, a great point. It's a great subject, Andy, isn't it? You know, and I can, I can think back to various players that I've worked with throughout the last 25 years or so and, and and by their own admission that you know they've maybe been given an awful lot of talent for the game but uh, anger or the the reaction to golf shots has has cost them an awful lot of money cost them an awful lot of tournaments and as you say why do we keep doing something that we know logically is so destructive and yet we carry on with it you know, and, and I, I think a simplistic, you know, you say I try and approach things in a simple way. Well, I do. Um, you know, a simple way of looking at it this, why, why do angry people get angry? Because they get angry. You know, they just develop a habit like in, in, in other areas of our life. The pathways from, from stimulus to response become so well-worn 
that they, they just get good at the skill of anger in a way. And I think to start to, to, to look at this and start to unpick it and sort of say, you know, you can use whatever word that you want as a, as a, as a countermeasure to anger, be that calmness or, or resilience or, or, or whatever. But I think for everybody listening, you know, there's probably not too many of, of, of the people tuning in who don't have some issues with this because golf does does trigger these these cascade of, of emotions. But I think it would be remiss of everybody to to ignore it. And and I think one of the one of the things that that we we all I certainly fell into the trap of it with with golf is believing that at some point if I got my technique good enough that it would actually protect me from bad shots when actually the experience of everybody that's ever played the game from Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Mo Norman downwards, nobody's ever solved the golf swing to a point where we eliminate bad shots. And I think what we've got to need to, what we've got to do is as, as well as try and develop some of those skills is develop some effective strategies about how we can actually deal with our responses to the shots and deal with deal with it in a way that allows us to, move on and hit the next shot because you know one thing's for sure that the effects of anger are so detrimental not only to our score but to our ability to coordinate movement you know anger first of all makes us stupid we make some crazy decisions when we get when we get the the red mist but i think another area that we could perhaps go into that's you know we don't look at enough is that is that you know when we're we're experience high emotions like anger you know there's a whole bunch of things that that anger causes us to do that is very detrimental to our game, the ability to coordinate movement, the ability to apply force in a certain way, you know, feel and touch around the greens. And, uh, you know, there's a whole area that we could look at in terms of developing some better responses out on the golf course that can only be beneficial in so many different ways. It's funny because when, when I think of anger and when I think of the frustration, I hadn't really sort of thought about too much how it's going to affect the ability in terms of the motion, um, that, because I'm I'm thinking that it's obviously it's a it's a, a state of mind, for instance, and I'm there thinking, well, obviously it's going to affect your decision making, and you're not going to make great decisions when you're angry. So I hadn't really thought too much about how it's going to affect the ability to to create that feel on a 25 foot putt, because you know if we carry a, a a, a poor state from an iron shot to the green and we've still got that angry frustration inside of us hadn't really thought about the ability to tap into the feel and the and the touch on the green really so that's interesting it's, it's such a it's such a key point that andy because you know we 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 often blame our technique out on the golf course when we start to play poorly but it but actually we don't lose our technique you know everybody's technique is what it is when they go out on the golf course and we're not saying that you don't want to develop better better golf swings and better motion. Obviously, that's another part of it. But I think if everybody could get the best out of what they currently have, they'd be a lot happier playing golf this year. But ultimately, it's so important for everybody to understand that every golf swing that you make is is, is comes from the brain first. And it's a, it's a command from brain to body. You know, muscle memory doesn't exist. And the command from brain to body needs to be seamless. And one way of thinking about it is that when you're uh, creating a golf shot, the command from the brain to the muscles, it's kind of like a, this is an oversimplistic 
model, but hopefully it'll work for everybody. The command from brain to body is like a series of roads in the brain and to, to the muscles. And when the when the um the brainwave frequency is 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 lowered, there's there's actually very little traffic on the road. So the message from brain to body is a seamless one and we can coordinate movement better. We can apply force correctly. When we get angry, there's traffic on the road basically, there's interference. So when that happens, we think we've maybe made some strange move in our golf swing. We think we've lost our ability to prevent present the club face in a certain way. But very often we can trace it back to the psychology that has caused that. And if we don't address that, we'll constantly be in this loop of always blaming the blaming the golf swing. You know, as I said, to, as I've said to many golfers over the years, it's not bad shots that's the problem at golf. It's the reaction to those bad shots. And, and, and as I say, it really is a fascinating area and one that, you know, I think is 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 so under undervalued as an area of exploration. I was just thinking exactly that. I just think it's underexplored from golfers because it's not tangible. And we talked about this in previous podcasts, but it's just so, so important. And the amount of golfers just on the range. Um, we, it was interesting. We had a scenario. Um, we was with Aaron at... Um, at the, the kingdom not long ago and he's hitting shots and Aaron's very diligent in the way he practices. He normally practices every single shot has a purpose. He visualizes the shot. He creates the shot. He's so into um, the shot, creating the swing. We get him on the range in this scenario where he's getting fitted and he's hitting ball after ball. And with, because he's, he's sort of being fitted for clubs. He's not into the shot and he starts to go all over the place. Like his shots are all over the place. Yeah. And me and Pierce are there watching him. And we're going, this is a really interesting sort of experiment here. Like to just see what's going on. He's, he's getting more and more angry, hitting more and more bad shots. And me and Pierce are there as his coaches and going, nothing really wrong with his technique here. Like he's hitting some bad shots, but his technique is not the issue. Like if we say something now about his technique, this is going to cause more, more problems than anything else. But it would be the easy thing to go down. And then we said, look, let's just reset. Let's get back into the shot. Give it a purpose. Give it a shape. And we sort of changed his whole thing. But it was just so interesting to, from our side of things, to just go, hang on a minute. What's really happening here? Is there something wrong with his technique? Or is there something else that's going on that's causing this? But it was interesting just to see how that environment and his reactions sort of spiraled into to just a completely like ball flight was just completely lost, but it was nothing to do with his technique. We were just interested in there. Um, one question I've got. Oh, oh, carry just, on. On, just, just on that one, Andy, again, because I think this is a great thread. You know, what you've just described there with Aaron, you know, normally, as you say, he's, he's right into the shot. He's into the shot, creating the swing. So, 99% of the time, he's he's creating a clear intention. And it's something that we've talked a lot about before is that the body can organize movement around a clear intention. And as we've said, that pathway, then those motorways, communication from brain to body is, is clear. So the body can organize around that clear intention. What you just described there in that fitting situation, he'd lost his intention, hadn't he? He'd lost the clarity of intent. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it's 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 so it's so important. And I think from that, from our conversations, Carl, on this podcast, actually, it's been, we're sort of going off on a tangent here, but I like it. 
I want to talk a little bit about like my experience with this as well, because we played golf. My driving this year has been the best driving year of my life. And I don't put that down to anything to do with technique. I don't think my technique's any better, but I had a, I had a game of golf probably about a few months ago, probably four months ago. And I started off really bad. I'm like, what's going on? It feels really bad. And then I just switched my whole, my whole focus was I, I didn't have a clear intention. I didn't know what I didn't, I wasn't asking the right question on the tee. What does a good shot look like here? And, and since that day on that golf course, I was probably three or four holes in and I switched to what does a good shot look like here on every single shot. And I played like so good. And then taking that forward onto the rest of my game for the rest of the rounds that I played, like it just completely transformed how I played the game, especially off the tee, because I had a clear picture of what I wanted to suit the hole instead of just standing on there with the driver. There's the fairway, one shot, bang. It, it It's really transformed the way I play. And yet to, to the point that my technique hadn't changed, but I had the best driving year of my life because my intention was so dialed into actually what was I trying to produce. Um, but so that's credit to you, really. I just wanted to go off on a tangent there because that's something that I'd experienced from our conversations that had nothing, nothing to do with technique at all, everything to do with really just creating that image and intention in my mind. So thanks for that. That's, uh, that's one I owe you. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the bill for that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, what a wonderful point, Andy, there. And my my kind of metaphor for that is that, you know, you're, think of it this way for everybody listening, is that most people will get in their car and they'll have a satellite navigation system, which is a wonderful piece of kit. But if you get in the satellite, if you get in the car and you're searching for a golf club that's 100 miles away and you just punch in the town, or, or, or the city, you'll get somewhere near the golf club, but you won't actually get to the golf club. You know, if you want Royal Lytham or you want, you know, Torrey Pines or whatever it may be, you know, the zip code as it would be in the States, you'd actually punch in the details of the, of the zip code. Now, what you're describing there with your golf, you may be gone through a spell where that all you were doing is putting into the satellite navigation system, the town or the city, as opposed to the specific destination. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, whatever skill level anybody has, the, the 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 capacity of the satellite navigation system obviously is very variable from you know the best players in the world to people in the early days of golf. But on the golf course, surely it's really important to give yourself the best possible chance by punching in the zip code, punching in the postcode, giving yourself a clear intention. You know, and 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 I think we. We, we underestimate how smart the body is. You know, if you think of all of the things that, that evolutionary, you know, as a result of evolution that we've managed to do, you know, we've managed to learn how to, to walk efficiently. You know, we can, we can use tools tremendously well with great dexterity and skill. And yet we come to play golf where we, we constantly are, are questioning our body's ability to make movements. Now, we're not saying for one minute that you ignore technique. I'm a big believer in efficient movement, but it should always be that the evolution of a golf swing should always be with the end in mind, which is the golf shot. What are you trying to do with the golf shot and work backwards from that? You know, and I can think back to lots of lessons that I had, you know, and nobody ever mentioned the shot. Nobody ever said to me, what shot do you want to play? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think, wow, how crazy is that? I'd just go for a lesson and somebody would say, 
all right, well, what do you want? And it's a few shots and straight away we jump into, you got, you, you know, you, you're not here, you're not there. And all of that may well be valid to a degree, but it always has to begin with what is the purpose of this? You know, over the last few years, I've become so passionate about the idea that that instead of instead of being swing coaches, we should actually be moving in the direction of shot coaches. Because as far as I'm aware, when when you get to the end of a round, you know they ask you how many shots you've 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 played. They don't ask you how many swings you've made. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and what you've just described there is that you in that round of golf, you got heavily into your shots, didn't you? Yeah, and that's and that's and that's it was, it's just such a different. It, it's it's to the point now where if I'm having a game of golf with Pierce, I'll and I see him, I'll say to him, "What does a good shot look like here?" Because I'll be able to see if he's not quite into the shot, if he if his brain sort of moves back into technique, I'll catch him out, and he'll say the same to me. I'll go, "Okay, come on, what does a good shot look like here?" So I'm asking him the question to direct his focus in the right right area, so he can tune into that really. But I know we've gone off on a tangent there. But I also think that's so linked to managing anger and frustration because if we can be clearer on the intention and the result that we want, you'd like to think there's going to be less chance of hitting a shot that we don't want as well. And then there's there's hopefully then um, less chance that we're going to get annoyed and frustrated. <laughs> well, I think, you know, we can then say, well, what what do we know anger? If, if, if a clear intention is so important, what do we know for certain that anger does? is actually create a cloudy intention at best or no intention at all. You know, at the, you know at the worst examples that we've all been through on the golf course, when the red mist descends and we're, we're, we're lost in the emotion of anger, we get so detached from this particular shot that we're trying to play now because we're still living in a past experience that we regret. You know, we're regretting the putt that we missed on the previous green or we're regretting the fact that we you know, dumped a wedge in a bunker or, or whatever it may be. And I think this also opens up the whole area of, of of what we attribute poor shots to. And I think TV has got so much to answer for with this, Andy, that, you know, whenever anybody hits a bad shot on TV, the only thing that we look at is the golf swing, isn't it? We The only thing that the experts look at, we don't really often trace it back to, hang on a minute, he three-putted, a green two greens ago that you know and then he's dropped another shot after that and then all of a sudden he's blocked it 30 yards to the right and it's because his golf swing's changed well it's a sim it's too simplistic a notion that you know yeah. i think and this is where this the, the, the skill of um your post-shot reactions and, and the skill of understanding your relationship to the game whereby you know in in, in one respect Anger rises up because we care about the game and we want to perform, but it's actually out, outsmarting that that sort of um, older part of our brain, if you like, that emotional part of the brain that just can hijack our ability to, to play good golf. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'd like to get into some of the things. I think a lot, of, a lot of people will ask us, look, how do I, you know, what do I do if I get angry on the golf course? But I'd like to start, I'd like to start pre-golf course and talk about, some of the maybe some of the, the the subconscious things that golfers do pre-round and that set themselves up for um being annoyed really because I think we've got to start there because there's certain things that we see and you know that we that we believe that might not be true. So let's talk about some of those things then Carl of what they can what we can maybe get people to be aware of. I think I think 
the foundation of it all, Andy, is is to really look deeply at the at the reality of the game that we know for certain. Um, it was interesting. I was just having a conversation with somebody a short while ago about you know supposedly the, one of the greatest swings of all time, Ben Hogan, and he talked about um, he'd, he'd been looking at the modern fundamentals, but Hogan's book, and there was a there was a fantastic passage in there where Hogan talked about the elevation of his career and the great golf that he played, the real golden period, came as a result, he said, of he have he have he dropped. I think I'll misquote this, but he but he said he he understood he began to understand that the perfectionism that he had for the game was getting in the way, and he started to have a more realistic approach to the game, realizing that he was he was going to hit some bad shots out there, but he didn't have to hit perfect shots all the time. He could still manage to get it round. Now, if that if that is the best golf swing of all time, and his big breakthrough was at relinquishing perfectionism. I think most of us probably need to take something <laughs> from that. So I think it then comes back, you know, in answer to the to the question, you know, before a round of golf, one of the things that we, I was to, I was told, you know, when I looked into the sort of psychology areas when I was playing, was that oh, you know, what you should what you should do is before a round is imagine all the good shots that you're going to hit and all the birdies that you're going to make and. That has maybe some validity. I mean, the research would say probably not that much, but a far more realistic thing that you could do before you play is to actually imagine that you're going to hit some bad shots because that is going to happen. That's the reality of it. Imagine that you're going to hit some bad shots. And more importantly, when you imagine that you're going to hit some of those bad shots, how are you going to react to those bad shots? So you're actually pre-programming your behavioral response to the inevitable. Rather than this fantasy world of just close your eyes and imagine you're making 18 birdies, which sounds great. Day is going to be the day where nothing goes wrong. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and and I think then the other thing, it ties in with the idea that this, this myth that if I could just get my technique just right, it'll protect me from that. Well, that's never going to happen. The also, the other myth of, you know, if, if I hit the ball well on the range before I play that that means I'm going to take that onto the golf course. Well, how many people listening have actually hit the ball fantastic on the range before they've played and gone out and played awful? Counter to that, people will have hit the bad hit the ball poorly on the range and then gone out and actually found the game and hit some good shots. So fundamentally, one of the things that we need to do, as well as to rehearse the reaction to poor shots, is get into our brain and, and, and establish it as a firm belief is that the past does not equal the future. So the past of what's happened on the range is not going to equal the future. That's just setting up an that's just setting up an unhealthy relationship to the actual reality. Of course, go and warm up. We need to get our body body moving, and it's and it's nice to hit the ball well, but don't assume ever that that's going to mean it transfers onto the golf course. By the same measure, if the warm up isn't a hundred percent. It doesn't mean to say that you're not going to actually find something once you get out there playing. But I think the overall umbrella that I would I would I would ask people to consider this year is to develop the skill of acceptance. And acceptance, you know, we could we could do 10 podcasts on that subject, but the skill of acceptance is is understanding the reality of the game. And the reality of the game is that it's inherently variable, it's inherently chaotic, it's unpredictable. 
But if you can, with every sort of fiber of your soul, get to a point where you are prepared to go out on the golf course and accept every outcome on any individual shot, then you're free. You're free to go out and play and create it, create each individual shot on its on its own merit. Now that sounds very simple, but I would say for anybody serious about the game, they should look at this as a seasons a season skill development. See see it as a long term project to develop the skill of acceptance, and that would for me involve things like before you play is 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 writing in a journal. I'm a big big believer in this that you write in a journal before you go out to play. What am I committed to today? You know, we've talked about this before, but you know, if if anger's been an issue to you, if you write out, I'm I'm committed to dealing with and accepting any outcome on the golf course. The very fact that you write it out before you go to play, you are, as Raymond Pryor would say, you're front-loading acceptance. You're pre-planning. This is how you're going to be on the golf course. Because if you don't do that, you're going to go out there and the old triggers will 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 kick in. The old responses will kick in. You'll just revert back to type and the chaos of the game will always get you. And, you know, then you can start to make 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 a game of it in a way. I, I get some players to, to view acceptance as a skill and we'll say, okay, we know this is important. So you go out and play a round of golf and you've got a very simple game to play, ticks and crosses in the sense that if you go out and you play the first hole and you've accepted the outcome on every shot, you've dealt with it, you've moved on to the next one, you get a tick on that hole. If you've had a, a really poor acceptance and the red mist descended, it's a cross. So a very simple game then, you're aiming at 18 ticks and no crosses. And it's surprising, even just creating a game like that, when you can objectify it and people can almost turn the competitive instincts then on their reactions. Yeah, it's a wonderful. It's it's amazing how when you put games in place like that with the mental game, how things will organise better because you can see it directly on the on the card. You know, nobody wants to see five crosses in a row because you think just well, this I'm just being a, a lunatic out here. <laughs> and you know, you know things like that. So so much of it is, is as as you've alluded to is about how you set this up before you actually go and play the game. Hi guys, one question we get asked all the time is how can I get coaching from yourself and Pierce? Now we do coach in person at the Grand here in San Diego, but for those who can't make it in person, we've built something that's just as good. We've created the Me and My Golf Academy. This is basically our online coaching academy where we've literally poured everything that we've learned from the best players and coaches in the world on not just about how to swing it great, but also what it takes to actually play great golf and get around the golf course in, in as least shots as possible because that's really the aim. There's over 17 specific coaching plans where we actually guide you through simple lessons that we know get results. Some of the most popular ones are total driving, break 90, ultimate irons and complete chipping. And we really believe that these are the best online courses on the planet to help your game. Plus, we have an amazing member community over there with loads of other benefits and discounts on some amazing brands. So if you're fed up of having too many swing thoughts and you can't figure out why you're so inconsistent and seeing no improvement, then give this a go and you can see if it's for you. Our members are seeing some incredible results in as little as only one week and we'd love to see if we can help you out with the game. So if you want to find out more, click the link in the show notes or simply download the Me and My Golf app. Let's get back to the show.
I think a lot of people are, there's, there's so many as we as we talk Carl, there's so many things coming up in my mind and examples and um you know a player of ours recently as well he was uh, we said to him before the round we're like look regardless of the outcome today like regardless of the outcome what would be a win what could be a win for you regardless of what the outcome is and he was like just having a really good attitude to the shots that I hit so he's separating the outcome and focusing on well instead of just being obsessed with I'll be annoyed if the if the score is not where I want it to be or the shots aren't there we put the focus on what he could could control which was his attitude and and his acceptance to the shots that he played really so it was nice to separate the outcome for him and say look focus on what you can control and if you can manage your emotions and attitude then that's a really successful day regardless of what's happened really um one thing that I was thinking as well Carl is that when whenever we've done any posts or or discussions around this type of subject a lot of people think that they get a little confused on this because they go well surely just accepting bad shots is going to be a negative thing because we're saying it's okay to hit bad shots um how, how for those people who are, who are probably some people might be thinking that now will say surely you shouldn't be okay with hitting bad shots how do we differentiate that and how can we just sort of frame that in a good way yeah it's, it's it, that's a great point and my 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 definition of the clear um, separation is there's a big difference between acceptance and resignation. So, so, so acceptance is purely an acceptance of the facts. The fact is that the ball went right, the ball went left, it, it came up short. You duffed it. Whatever it is, is is there's an objective reality of what happened when you hit a golf ball. Now, to accept that to me is in no way negative. It's, it's actually an acceptance of reality that allows you to then move on and create the next one. The next shot then becomes an opportunity as opposed to the next shot being contaminated by the previous shot. Resignation is the opposite of that. Resignation is, oh, you know, stuff this. I can't play the game. It doesn't matter. And just, you know, hitting it on the run. We're not saying that at all. We're not saying acceptance isn't, isn't being happy with bad shots acceptance doesn't mean that you're not attempting to do as well as you can but acceptance is a clear understanding of the reality of the situation that the ball did this and the ball did that one of the things that i've found that that helps with this and the in terms of um when you've actually hit the shot the kind of post shot reaction is to is to deal with what i call facts not opinions and this is a good this is a good habit for people to consider to play the game of acceptance. So facts as opposed to opinions would be when you've hit a golf shot, just tune into the fact of it. You know, if the ball went right, okay, well, what do we know for certain that, well, the club face was presented to the right, the path may have been to the right, you know, what groove did you hit it on? If it was a little bit thin or you caught the ground first or, or whatever, tune right into the facts of the shot and the fa what facts do Facts tend to neutralize emotion. What opinions do is inflame emotion. Now, opinions are, you are a bleep, bleep, bleep. You know, you can't play this game. It's not your day. Why is this happening to me? This has happened because it's the play slow, or this has happened because the pin's tucked away in a stupid position. All these, all these opinions that we come up with on the golf course that just inflame the emotional brain, and then we're, then, then we're away in terms of the reactions 
and the anger kicks in and then all the coordination issues that we talked about and applying force and things like that are compromised. So facts, not opinions, is actually a great strategy once you're out on the golf course to accept the outcome. But as you say, acceptance isn't giving up in any way. The other thing I would say for people embarking on the acceptance journey is that don't fall into what I call the the acceptance with strings trap, where you sort of say to yourself, right, I'm going to go and play today and I'm going to accept everything. But there's a little voice inside of your head saying, well, I'll accept everything as long as it's quite good. <laughs> you know, you're either you're either in this 100 percent or you're not. Yeah. But what what I, I again strongly um, suggest that people play around with this and even start to do it on the range and start to hit some shots where as part of your pre-shot routine before you even step into it. You actually just ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, how much can I accept the outcome of this shot? You know, one being you're not going to accept it and 10 being complete acceptance. And just play around with that feeling and then just step into it and notice the notice what movements emerge as a result of being in that accepting state. Yeah. Because, you know, based on the kind of research that Easy Justice, a neuroscience scientist that I've, I've done a lot of work with, you know, Easy Justice talks about how different movement can emerge or more efficient movement can emerge as the brainwave frequency reduces. And as the brainwave frequency reduces, the ability to coordinate movement is, is massively enhanced. Well, acceptance is a great way to calm the mind down. It's a great way to slow that brain activity. So, you know, this is a multifaceted skill development that you can start to um, appreciate, you can start to work on, you know, in all kinds of all kinds of training areas. You know, I, I, I think to me, Again, I was having a, a discussion with Raymond Pryor about this on a podcast that I did with him, and we were talking about the yips. And, and you know, he was absolutely adamant that, that most yips originate as a result of a resistance to an outcome, that we're, we, that we're resisting an, an outcome. We don't want an outcome to happen. Yeah. So the body starts to go into a, an avoidance uh, mechanism that compounds itself. So, you know, we, we we hit one of those chips a little bit thin and we don't want that to happen again. And the resistance to the outcome gets stronger and stronger till eventually the, the, there's such an, a, an anxious state created that the yip is an attempt for the body to just get the movement out of the way and get it away from it. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I know that there's elements of technique that can influence initially why you would hit poor chip shots, but it makes a lot of sense to me to think that, you know, the yips, the origination, the, 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 the foundation of a lot of yips is just resistance to an outcome. I've not heard that before and I like it. I'm starting thinking about people who, who are trying to resist duffing a chip shot, for instance, just the resistance of hitting the ground and then all of a sudden it just creates that that motion really um and I've, I love had some, I've had some interesting ones andy we're, we're sorry i keep interrupting me but no, no, it's good. you carry on yeah. good. i've got so many things as we're talking there's so many things popping up and then i forget them i'm like i need yeah. to i need to no, you, you, you know you say something and i've got my mind going and <laughs> um, i've had a, a reasonable bit of success with people <clears throat> with the with the yips especially in chipping you know you know we, we make sure that the the, the the techniques are okay you know we 
we're not ball back in the stance and hands way forward and things like that, which can which can contribute to the yips, I think. Yeah. Um, but once that once the technique is is you know the, the the understanding and the concepts are pretty sound, somebody who's who's got issues with yipping, I, I actually get them. I actually encourage them to what I call observe the yip. So they're given permission to actually hit some yip, hit some chips with a yip, and in that in that mode of observation. What is actually happening through the back door is that they're actually creating an acceptance mindset. They're accepting that they could yip it, yeah. and, that, and that acceptance of the fact that they could yip it. It's amazing how many people, when they're trying to observe the yip, it, it tends to settle itself down because you're not resisting the outcome anymore. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm quickly going to grab a pen because there's so many things that I want to write down here, Carl, as well. Um Got one somewhere. Here we go. I've got a pen here. That's it. I love. I love that resisting the outcome and uh, yeah. I want and and even the facts and opinions, Carl. I think that's really good as well. Just um, what are the facts over the opinions? Are just just really good stuff. Um, just one question actually, and, and and other people might be thinking this as well. Is when it comes to some of the like some of the best players. I think of like Tiger, John Rahm, Tyrrell Hatton. Who who you see them getting angry a lot? They showcase their emotions on the golf course. How is it that they they're able to to do that and still perform? And it's like people will watch that and go, well, well, how can they do it? You know, why should I have to be like controlling my emotions and not and not get angry? What is it that they do that, that enable them to to seem to still perform and 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 move on and and carry on with the next the next shots and and create some success? I think there's a big difference, Andy, between anger that builds and, and anger that's released. So we're not, you know, we're not saying for one minute with this this idea of acceptance that that you're going to float around a golf course like a you know a, a, a Zen Buddhist monk and never never show any emotion whatsoever. I think what what Tiger, John Ram, Tyrrell. I mean, I don't know them personally, but my my guess is that what they are actually pretty good at is that they they release some some emotion and then settle it back down pretty quickly. You know, Tiger famously, you know, I had this twenty odd years ago. I think they'd set this up with Jay Bruns. The Tiger famously had the ten yard line, didn't he? Whereby the deal that he'd set up in his brain that was that he was allowed to to release, you know, sound off or whatever. After a, after a poor outcome, but he, he would see a line that was 10 yards in front of him and the deal was as soon as he'd walked over that line that that shot was actually history now, that was in the past. And I think that's another area that people could explore as well. You know, we're not saying give p- permission to people to rant and rave and behave like, like an idiot, but I think it's probably a big stretch for, for some people to, to contain themselves completely. We're not saying that you're not going to sound off to a degree after a poor shot. But it's then what you do after that, and the ability to let that go and accept the outcome, then and then actually actually move on. Yeah, definitely, that makes sense. And there's a couple of notes here because we've already sort of delved into a little bit of the during the round where we can sort of gamify, if you like, and score and and sort of manage ourselves. Um, how important is the language and the self talk that we that we use in this scenario, and and how does that shape? Our emotions and how we feel and how much should the the listeners to this be paying attention to what they're internally saying to themselves but also what they're actually vocalizing as well yeah i think another simple one 
that you could that you could, players could use with this. As it, as you said at the beginning, I think unless this stuff is practical, it just ends up being a lot of theory. Theory, doesn't it? I I I get players to 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 um, go out and play and ask them today, are you going to be a re- reactor or a responder? Now then, that what that what that means is that when you go out to play, a reaction would be that you hit the poor shot and that, that you carry that emotional uh, response with you. You keep moaning about the poor shot. You keep moaning about your look. You keep moaning about the situation, whatever. That's reaction. However, respond if you become a responder, you, you, your ability to accept the shot and then, okay, right, what are we going to do now? You know, how, how am I going to respond to this situation? So the self-talk then changes from dwelling on the past to the potential opportunity of what you can do in the future, you know, can you get it back out of the trees? Can you up and down it from where yeah. it is? You know, can you can you hold this four footer? When you when you actually keep it simple like that, you go out and, and and you've got that frame in your mind. I'm either re, I'm either reacting or responding. It's a really simple umbrella for people to play under then, um, and you know you can quickly catch yourself with the with the reaction. As opposed to the responder, you know, you could, you could, you could do the same thing, make a game of it, you know, on on the scorecard, you know, simple one, R and R, which one did, which one did I do? Did I react? Did I respond? Really, really simple, you know. And and you know, if you can come off the golf course and you've got eighteen responses, that's been a perfect mental round. What a great thing to aim at, as you as you were saying with the young player that you were working with. That's something. You know, that's something under your control. You can play 18 holes where you respond to every shot that you hit as opposed to reacting to them. Yeah, and and the, I just wrote something down here. There's a big difference, obviously, with reacting and response. And um, the one thing I just th- I thought of as we were talking about reacting that maybe some of the viewers, the listeners to this can, can relate to, and I wonder um, your thoughts on this, Carl, about like what, when I, I, I'm very conscious of, I'm very conscious of all the things that I think about and how I am and my reactions and responses to the point where if I'm in in a car and someone drives past me quick or cuts me up, I'll be very quick to catch myself if there's a what if there wants to be a response. Um, and I wonder how for, for the listeners to this, if there's somebody who would let's say experience road rage quite easily and quickly. Do we expect that if they experience road rage really quickly, that they'd maybe experience some reactions very quickly on the golf course? I wonder if that's a correlation there. And I wonder if that's just something that they could practice <laughs> just to be aware of. I'm not sure. But as soon as you met, as soon as we talked about reacting, my mind went to like driving and road rage and, and little things like that off the course that we can start to put into practice. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, as a, as a broad generalization, somebody who's somebody who's angry in all areas of their life are probably going to be pretty angry on the golf course. I don't think he's a hundred percent rule, but it, it's probably pretty close. I think we we all need to understand that you know when we go out into the world as a stimulus, like somebody cutting us up or somebody giving us the the, the sign or whatever on when when we're driving a car, there's a stimulus, and then there's a response to that. I think what happens. When you become more aware of it, there could be a there, there could be a stimulus, and then a gap, and then a response, and it's in the gap where you have the opportunity, yeah. so that you, you you could absolutely look at this in in all areas of your life, you know, because the modern world, 
is is almost geared to to create a training ground for us to deal with our anger, isn't it? Especially you know if you if you're traveling and some of the nonsense that we have to go through in in airports and things like that, and the crazy things that we that we see on the roads. You could look at the whole world as a training ground for your golf in, in in a sense. You know, people say stupid things to you, you get poor service or whatever it may be. But think of it, think of the outside world. It will throw lots of stimulus at you, but can you create that gap before the response? And and it's everything begins with awareness, doesn't it? When you become aware of this stuff, you can see the fact that somebody's cut you up and you had a gap and you didn't respond in the old way. And then maybe a little part of your brain says, well, actually, if I took that onto the golf course and there was a stimulus and a gap and then a response, yeah, then I'm going to be a lot better golfer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I love that. Just having that gap is is just so important. But it's just being, it's just catching yourself out, isn't it? In that, in that, in that mode, really. Um, and I think it's, I think it's another, another thing to to look at is is the idea of of understanding. That, that when we go out to play golf or, or when we do anything in, in life, what we tend to do is things happen and we create lots of stories about, about those things. We create a narrative. You know, our, our world exists about in terms of the stories that we create about things. But realise that those stories are not reality. Those stories are just all made up. You know, when, when, when one person three puts... They, they they create a story that, you know, here we go again, I can't put something wrong with my stroke. And all the story, you know, and we're away then, aren't we? You know, somebody else would create a story whereby, you know, the, 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 the three put and think, well, okay, all right. I misread that one. You know, I didn't set it off on the line I intended. I didn't go through my routine. So that was that's more factual as opposed to the story, which tends to be, um, you know, reactionary. It's funny because you you brought a, like a, a story back from um, from one of my friends who's a good golfer actually, and he played with his dad not long ago. He, he lives out here, plays with his dad not long ago, and he was playing with his dad. He was on the same team, and uh, he was playing against another couple. Just a fun match, and I think my friend Matt had missed like a couple of putts. I think there were two or three holes in, and his dad said to him after two or three holes in, "It's not your day today." he's like it's not your day today he's only played two or three holes but there's a story straight away that that his dad's putting on him saying it's not your day and we say that to ourselves so much oh it's just not my day today or it's you know i'm you know i can't hold a putt today or nothing's going in today or or whatever it is so it's just uh, yeah just funny when you think back to some of the stories on the golf course that happens i think one of the uh most powerful things that that I've heard it's a big influence on me was or is Fred Shoemaker. And I remember Fred saying 20, 25 years ago, whenever I, I first went out to, to see him, he said that the bravest thing a golfer can do is stay open to the possible. And I didn't really understand that at the time when he when he said it, but I, but I do know. And what what was Fred meaning? He, he, was, he said that instead of buying into the story that it's not your day, if we take Putin as an example, if you every green that you walk on from one to eighteen, and you're faced with a putt, is it is it possible that you could hold that putt? Well, that's a fact based question. Is it possible that you could hold that putt? Well, the fact is, yes, it is possible. 
unless you decide otherwise, unless you've bought into a story such as it's not my day or I can't put on my stroke doesn't feel right or any of these other things that we tend to do. And to stay open to possible in spite of some counter evidence was what Fred meant that, you know, if you've, if you've three putted twice, three times in the round, but you've got a eight footer on the 15th, is it possible that you could hold that put? Well, it's possible. Doesn't mean to say that you will, but at least you're not. At least your psychology isn't stopping you holding the putt. Yeah, that's that's the thing that we've got to look at with all of this, Andy. Is is this is my psychology actually stopping me holding putts? Is it stopping me hitting fairways? Is it stopping me hitting greens? And when you start to get to the to the root of all of this, you know, as we said all the way through this conversation, these are areas that we don't explore enough and we don't look at enough. You know, and what a wonderful thing for somebody to go out this season working on the skill of acceptance mm. and then come to the end of the season and go, wow, that was a really good golfing year. I improved my golf, but I actually feel like golf's taught me a lot for life. Yeah, yeah. And just experience just so much more fun as well on the golf course because that's ultimately, we all play this game, majority of us, to actually enjoy ourselves out there. And we've talked about this sort of enjoyment factor as well in past podcasts, but even just on what you said there as well, Carl, it jumps to how many people hit a bad shot, they miss a green, hit it in the bunker, um, but but then have gone on to maybe hold a bunker shot or just play an amazing bunker shot. And I think of Tiger on the 16th at Augusta, he hit it long, missed the green, but he stayed open to possible and, and ended up with a two. So just because we hit one bad shot, it doesn't mean that it's going to ruin our card if we stay open to the possible on the next shot, it just frees ourselves up and then stops us. So there's numerous examples we could give on this, but it's so important to have that mindset going into that as well, isn't it? And what you're saying there, Andy, that, you know, the possible is a perfect example of responding rather than reacting. Yeah. You know, when Tiger knocked it long left on 16, he didn't react to that. He responded to it. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, he was open to the possible and played a shot that, you know, we're still talking about 18 years later. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, Carl, I know we've, we've we've talked about a lot, which has been great, and I've really enjoyed this. And you're, anytime we jump on a podcast, I learn so much. I've got loads of notes written down here as well. So thank you for that. Um, just one more thing before we sort of wrap up here. After the round, we've talked a lot about pre and, and sort of during. What can people do post-round to help them with, with the topic really that we're discussing is there anything that they can do yeah yeah i think the idea for me this season you know if there was one thing i would recommend i've already alluded to maybe writing a few things down before the round is definitely get yourself a journal i think that's probably one of the most valuable things that you could ever do for your golf is get yourself a journal there's a lot of research suggests that the physical acts of writing things down, I know this is a big stretch in the modern world, and I'm, I'm from a previous generation, but actually physically writing things down is far more powerful than punching into your phone or your computer. So get yourself a journal. You can set the commitment before the round. And then, you know, after the round, I think just giving yourself 10 minutes you know, I'm a, I'm a, I always remember the three questions that uh, that Pia Nielsen talked about. Uh, it's brilliant, you know, just at the end of the round, asking yourself good, better and how, you know, what was good today? Write down the things that you did really well. What needs to be better? 
highlight what needs to be better, and then how are you going to actually actually go about improving that? So it's a real dynamic set of three questions. I'm still a big fan of you know something I I, I was I was sort of talking about twenty odd years ago. Um, is is when you finish playing a round of golf, is get into the habit of writing down the three best shots that you've hit. Ask yourself that question: What were the three best shots I hit that day? Yeah. And the good thing about that, a couple of things are going on as you as you write down the three best shots. You know, don't just write five iron on the twelfth. Put a little bit of detail in there about the quality of your intention, where your attention was. As you write down the three good shots, you you're massively solidifying the memory of those those good shots that you hit, which is which is obviously valuable. As you go in over the shots, you're actually whatever you review, you rehearse. So you're actually rehearsing the movements that you made. And what you start to find, what I find players get with this is over a period of time by going through that little ritual, they start to get a little bit closer to understanding their patterns, their habits, the things that make them tick on the golf course. And I think when you ask yourself a couple of good questions like that after a round and you write them down, I think what you do is you is you enhance the good days when they come along. If it's been a bad day, it tends to neutralise it and it puts an end to it. And I think what it does, it goes counter to the way that our brain is wired. You know, we've talked a lot about emotion tonight. Um, unfortunately, our brains are designed to remember bad stuff we're, de we're designed to look out for danger. It's an evolutionary part of the brain that's actually pretty much out of date now. And there's a great analogy for it, Andy, that people could think about, that when things happen on the on the golf course, good and bad experiences, it's kind of like Teflon and Velcro in the sense that most of us, when we have good experiences, unfortunately to the brain, it's like Teflon, it just slips away. Whereas the bad stuff is like Velcro, we hang on to it. We, we actually solidify those memories unless we do something about it, like actively write out the three good shots, good, better, how, things like that. So let that, for everybody listening, stick in your mind, Teflon and Velcro, and realise that the good stuff slips away, the bad stuff that we hang on to, unless we actually do something about it, unless we have some processes after the game to change that hardwired response that we have. Brilliant. Love that. I think I think there's been so many. Um, I, I know how important this is for golfers. Like just because I've experienced it for myself, but also for the players that myself and peers have coached, and you know a lot of the stuff that you've taught us, Carl, we've used and seen success in it, which has been amazing, really. So I really hope that the listeners to this, there's so much in here. But even if they, and I just know that there's certain little bits that'll hit home for some people that you can go. I'm going to use that, whether it's the journal, whether it's the practice and acceptance, whatever it may be. Um, and hopefully that's just going to create a, a big difference, really. So thank you so much for uh, for again today. I, I just always love these chats, you know, selfishly for me as well, because it's something that that I know is so important. And um, yeah, I just really enjoy chatting to you, Carl. So thank no, you. For it's always it's always good to have a chat. And we tend to uh, spark off each other. And obviously what you've done, you, you know, the plays that you've worked with and you've, you've you know, what you share on the channel and things like that is a, is a, is an incredible contribution that you that you've made and you are making to the game. So it's uh, it's just coaching can be a lonely place, can't it? You know when you're out there, and you, you've you've at least got peers. I'm just going to talk to myself. <laughs> so it's nice to actually get a chance to talk to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Uh, where can the guys go and find you? Where's best places? I know you've got your podcast as well. Yeah, and um, we have a a podcast that comes out every Friday called the uh, called the Brain Booster. We've had some uh, some nice guests on in the in the past few weeks. You know, guys like uh, I mentioned Izzy, Izzy Justice before, the neuroscientist, and uh, um, Raymond Pryor, who I mentioned a bit before, who's, who's done a, a lot of research on, on on acceptance. So that comes out every Friday. And then uh, my my website is the uh, is the mindfactor.com where we uh, we run certifications for co- coaches and things like that. So brilliant! I'll put all the links in the in the um, in the description. And definitely, guys listening to this, make sure you go and you know subscribe to the podcast because I know that the, the discussions each week. If somebody just tunes into that each week, they are going to be a better golfer, no doubt. So uh, make sure you do that. And yeah, thanks again for your time, Carl. It's been been great chatting and. Um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, we'll see you in person soon. We'll get you over to San Diego or something. Definitely hold you to that because I need to work on the suntan. I'm not getting <laughs> I'm not getting too much vitamin D in the UK, so I'll, I'll hold you to that. Brilliant. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed that one, and just basically because there were so many great things in there that um, that you can apply to your game straight away. I made several notes, so I'm sure there's plenty of things in that was was that hit home for you that you could, oh yeah, that would be great. And that's me. And so I really hope you've got some useful things that you can apply to your game straight away, really. Make sure you go and follow Carl, subscribe to his podcast. uh, And don't forget to check out meandmygolf.com or download our app to get access to look at our best coaching plans and all our best content that's going to help your game. There's plenty of stuff on there regarding mindset as well from Carl. Um, There's fitness stuff. there's, There's everything you need basically to play better golf. So make sure you check that out. And we will look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys.